you would please take the word of the Lord and open it to page 273. No. How about 1 Corinthians 10? Yeah. Oh, you got one of those. Couldn't understand why I couldn't see the words in my hymnal and it dawned on me my glasses are in my pocket. Good thing I picked music I remember. <laughs> what you doing? Lip syncing. <laughs> okay. We are looking at a book that I look at and see personal holiness. If you are not saved this day, this book will cause you more grief than you ever dreamed of. Because those who are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God realize that it is God through us that accomplishes this. And anything short of that is man-made religion. And those are the people who have the wrinkled up foreheads. They usually um, are, how was my grandma used to say? Are cantankerous. Because they know what God has said to do and not to do. And they're busily trying to do it. Uh, which says that the cross was nothing for them. When the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he said it was finished, he did not mean that it was very near being complete. He said it is finished. Uh, and it's, uh, the, when I think about the Lord, when the Lord Jesus Christ makes the statement, this man, born of woman, is the greatest man on earth. Speaking of John the Baptist, that is something you really should pay attention to. And the key to understanding why John the Baptist was the greatest man born of woman is this simple phrase. I must decrease, he must increase. And that is against human nature. And so the only way you get that accomplished is supernatural. So, with that thought, let's read verses 14 through 22 and learn some more truths about idolatry. 14 through 22, 1 Corinthians 10, 272 in the truly holy Bibles. No, just kidding. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing, which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread, which we break, a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in that altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would teach, that You would open our hearts, our minds, the, the core of our being, the fabrics of our soul, that we would hear this. Father, this is such a strange understanding to us this day. And yet, Lord, Your truth is forever and ever. Father, let us hear let us grasp the Father as we sang this morning. Bow our hearts and bend our knees that we may hear you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen. If you look at your outlines, you'll look at, we've got four points here. We've looked at idolatry, you judge. Last week we looked at idolatry is illogical. It's really inconsistent, truthfully. That's verses 16 through 18. We got through verse 17 last week. 
But I, I want to kind of bring this back because in the last few weeks I've dealt with idolatry. As some people were listening to the message last week, they would say that I was teaching on the Lord's table. Communion, I would say a hearty amen. That's what I'm doing. The Apostle Paul will use the Lord's table, what you know as communion, all the way through the 11th chapter. It is an underlying theme and it deals with an urgency that is missing in the church today. It is missing in the hearts and souls of believers. Um, and I, I, I don't know why. I, I really don't understand why. But he begins this thing with verse 14 with, Therefore, therefore refers back to what he's been dealing with. And it's going to fly right out of verse 13, which says, No temptation has seized you, but that is common to man. No testing of you will overtake you that is uncommon. You're not going to deal with something, but you just don't understand what I'm going through. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. There's nothing supernatural about the tests, the trials of this life. You need to understand, Jesus told you and I, in this life you will have trouble. All right? And the testing is always there. The testing is there for... Uh, use, it, use it in your mind from this perspective. In secular Greek, it was used to speak of the testing of a metal. Okay, to see if it's true, if it was brass, if it was gold, if it was silver. How do I test it? Do you understand a lot of it was done by fire? Today, we do it with acid. Okay, so it will be testing of your metal to see if you are true. I know people today who have more probably Bible knowledge, more theological understanding than I can ever grasp. But their faith isn't there. That's the difference. The testing of my metal will take what knowledge of God I have and see, do you trust it? And I've made this statement before. Some of you have heard it. That if you see something, if you experience something, and you're a witness to this thing, whatever it is, situation, individual, whatever it is, if it is against Scripture, is it true? See how quick that is? We would sit here this glorious morning getting ready to look at our scriptures and we'd say, well, no, that's not true. But you know what? There's many of us right now in this room who will spend more time following something that is false because of an experience than we will truth and the truth will be yelling and screaming against it. Okay? I've got some texts coming up that I guarantee will expose some of the feminist mindset that exists in the body of Christ this this day. Okay? And yet we all struggle with it. Why? What has your society taught us? That's the thing that you have to pay attention to. How many hours are you every week in the world versus how many hours are you in the heavenlies? That's what I call my Bible studies. When I'm, and, I, and that's not when I'm teaching a Bible study. That's when me and my God... Um, believe it or not, are just wrestling. Because when I study Scripture, that tends to be my format for study. I wrestle. Um, and um, take the two and ask yourself, all right, then you're going to have to ask yourself, am I relying on what I understand, my abilities, my talents, my intellect, to fight a supernatural war? Because if you are, um, you're in trouble. And that is really what the core of this text is dealing with that's began all the way over in chapter 8 on things offered to idols. And he said in chapter 8, idol isn't anything. Okay, but here he begins with flee it. Flee idolatry. And what is amazing about this is that he uses the Lord's table for the foundation of his argument. You know what is amazing about this right here? And him using the Lord's table? The Apostle Paul doesn't even have a thought that a believer in Jesus Christ would not partake of the Lord's table. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about people who bounce from church to church or they worship their own way? And yet they're never involved in the Lord's table. See, that didn't even, the, Paul 
Paul doesn't even look at that as, as a logical understanding. Paul looks at that and says, that's as, that's as goofy as the day is long. He doesn't even address that. Why? I don't have to. If you're a child of the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? It should be a passion of your body, a passion of your soul, your attitude to be a partaker in the Lord's table. That's fascinating to me because I know some people today, and I'm sure that you do, who have no concern whatsoever over the Lord's table. If I'm there when they celebrate it, hallelujah. If I'm not there, what's the big deal? And yet the Lord Jesus himself said, do this in remembrance of me. And, and that the key, I believe, is there in verse 16 where he said, we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a sharing of the body of Christ. Okay, and I want to deal with that in a, again, because that is more than what you think it is. Some of your translations may say communion. Some of your translations may say a participant. Some of your translations may say um, uh, a partaker. A sharing is what this New American Standard teaches. Okay, the word is koinonia. Koinonia. Okay, some of you in this room have friends. Some of you don't. Sorry. Okay, but you have friends. You, and you have, if you were to look at friends, you would have different degrees of friends. You know, this friend here may be a buddy that I work with and we're kind of together and we know each other and we kind of hang out together. You may have a, a deeper friends that, that go beyond just, you know, we work together, we've hung out together. You may have a lot of the likes and dislikes that the other one has and you kind of get more and more involved with that person. And, and, and then you may have like that long, dear bud that maybe you in high school or college became a friend. And, you know, when I can see this person you know first time in like four or five years and we could just pick right up where we were and just continue on okay does everybody understand what i'm trying to say okay i have a cousin that is a very dear friend Uh, she is uh, the daughter of my uncle my dad's brother Uh, her dad her father my uncle died at 45 of a heart attack my dad died at 43 of a heart attack and I can see Debbie, um, you know, I don't see Debbie, but once a millennia. Uh, but we can talk to each other. And as soon as we talk, we literally can pick up from where we were because we were friends, uh, more than just relatives. We were very dear friends because uh, we grew up together. We came out of a, a culture that some of you know what I'm talking about, that culture together. We kind of went through the same things together. Uh, and, and so uh, the only problem that's different between her is she just now stepped into retirement and has a five-year-old. And I'm thinking, logic has left the building. But, uh, well, that's the way I look at it. I don't want to have a five-year-old in retiring. Okay. I don't, you know, because I retire, it's sort of like, hasta la bye-bye. <laughs> I don't, retirement says I don't have no more responsibilities for other little short human beings. But, uh, um, but I can just pick it up. And the reason that I thought about her is because I just talked to her. Her husband is a, is a good old boy. He grew up in Tennessee. He was a big muckety-muck in the civilian side of the Marine Corps. Uh, my dad retired from the Marine Corps. So we have a lot of things that we have very much in common, very dear friendship uh, with them. Uh, and, and, I, and I cherish that friendship. Okay? Some of you have friends like that. Okay? All the things I just described to you is not koinonia. Okay? You will hear us say in the church, say we're going to have a time of fellowship. Or there, you may have a building that has a fellowship hall in it. The word that you see translated a lot of times is koinonia, and they'll translate it fellowship. That is not koinonia. It is not sitting around having barbecue together. It is not even going to movies together. It is not, you know, just hanging out together. It is way, way more than all of that. Okay? If you took all of the things that I just described to you and multiply them by a hundred, you're still not in koinonia. Koinonia says that we have an intimate partnership together. 
in that partnership, we are absolutely dependent on one another. Okay? If you have a business and you partner with a, another person and you have a partnership in that business, that business is both of you. That's the term that is used here in the sharing of the Lord's table. It is a participation in an intimate way. And I love that idea. When you sit down and you take that little cup and that little cracker or whatever we end up with, when you take that, you're not just taking a little glass of juice and eating a little piece of bread that didn't have no yeast in it. Your mind should be through the power of the Spirit drawing to who it is you're doing this in remembrance of. It may draw to the crucifixion. It may draw to His mocking. It may draw to His being arrested and and slapped. It may draw to the disciples dispersing. It may draw to the day that you came unto the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It may draw to that triumphal return when the clouds apart and the sky will open, the stars will be black, and Jesus in His glory will be seen to a lost world in His great return. It may draw to that time when you think about the throne room of Jesus Christ where the, the floor looks like an ocean, but it's flat. And there's the shining of the stars, the wheel within a wheel, and there's the flashing and the rainbows and all the colors. And there are, it is so bright that there is no shadows and the floor only reflects that. It can draw to any of those individually. It can draw to some that I've never mentioned. It may draw to all of those collectively. And it should all happen when you partake of the cup, when you partake of the bread. That, brothers and sisters, is communion. That is communion. Okay? That's what the Apostle Paul is sharing with you and I this day. He's told us we should avoid the idolatry of the world. How? Flee? (laughs) What does that mean? Run away from it. Run away from it. Flee this thing. Why? Because of the meaning of the communion of the Lord's table. The sharing, the koinonia of the Lord's table. Okay, now I want you to think about something. A couple of weeks ago I taught on idolatry. Okay, there's three that you are affected by every moment of your life here on this planet in this society. One is humanism. Okay, and I basically am going to call that human knowledge, knowledge technology and stuff like that. We were talking about that this week. I can't remember who it was I was with. Uh, oh, Al, Al Albano was the guy. And he, we're trying to decide who's going to teach. I'll teach in the morning or teach in the afternoon or do you want me to teach this part or this part? And, so we sort of got, he's going to teach Old Testament Holy Spirit, and I get to teach New Testament Holy Spirit. So uh, anyway, um, he, he, he said that he had gotten permission to take his computer in. And I said, well, that's cool. And he says, you know, I keep my notes and everything on that. And he says, and I'm going to do that. And he says, uh, how about you? I said, I'm not taking a computer. And he said, really? And I said, no, nah, I don't. He says, don't you do, uh, what are they, where they, you can take it here and you put it somewhere else? Cut and paste. That's it. Cut and paste. He says, you don't cut and paste? And I said, no, I write and scribble. <laughs> and he says, what? And I said, I write and scribble. And he said, well, how do you do that? And I said, well, you know, use a pencil or a pen and a legal pad. And he said, wow, man, he says, I need to sit down and help you with you. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> I said, I had a guy I was teaching with down in Albuquerque a few years ago, and he was preaching with a Palm Pilot, and the battery went dead. <laughs> I take my notes like this. The lights can even go out and I can still teach. All right? No, I will not be handicapped by man's technology. (laughs) Ain't doing it and I refuse. I don't care if I got to take a wheelbarrow full of my notes. I'm not doing it. I've seen it. The hosts of demons are in computers and they just wait. 
They just wait. They just lay there. They wait idly. He spent 22 days on this paper. Watch this. Gone. You're like, what happened? Well, you can retrieve it. Really? Can you? You imply that it went somewhere. Can you tell me where that is? No. Okay. But see, it's stuff like that. That's the intellectual stuff. That's humanism. That's humanism. We really need to pay attention to that. That's an idol that you and I will fight with. Another one is materialism. Do I need to illustrate that one? Okay. And one of the great joys I look forward to in Orel is a lack of materialism. It's non-existent. I don't know what I'm going to preach on. Because it seems like everything I preach on is dealing with materialism. And how do you deal with a society where the guys are thrilled if they get an ink pen? Okay? And I'm going to tell them, it's technology to the devil. <laughs> Why? If you hold your note up like this and write, it stops. It won't write uphill. <laughs> so, anyway. So, it's all going downhill. And you know where down is, right? See there? Theology and ink pens. But it's stuff like that I want you guys to pay attention to. Then, of course, the third thing is sex. It's sex. Uh, I grew up, uh, I had one uncle who was a mechanic. My grandfather was a mechanic, and they did body work and car collisions and and all the rest of it. And everywhere in their shop, they had girly pictures selling tools. Have you really thought about that? A scantily clad woman with a socket set. All right, and that sells. And I'm like, I bet you dollars a donut, she doesn't even know what that is. Okay, or impact. I'll never forget it. I had this girl with impact wrenches. I'm sitting there going, I can tell you don't know what it is because your hands are clean. You can't work on a car not come away with grit. You know, some can, but I think they lie. All right, so there's three things that we deal with in our society today. One is humanism, two is materialism, the other is sex. All right, and what does Paul tell you and I this day? Flee. Flee. Run away from it. And then he gives us three reasons. But he's basically saying, listen, look what he says there. Flee it. Why? I speak to wise men. You judge what I say. And that's what we're dealing with. There's a, partis- a participation, a partaking, that koinonia of the Lord's table. And in the fact that you do that and you are partaking of that, idolatry should be something that you who are wise, you in your own judgment should say, I need to flee that. And then we looked at the Lord's table. Last week we looked at blood. And the blood for the Hebrew mindset was a violent death. It was something awful. You can die and then there's the pouring out of blood. And it has to do with something violent. The bread was Jesus' humanity. It is of the earth. It's where the wheat comes from. It's of the ground. That's where man came from. He was formed from the dirt. And then God breathed life to him. And he says, when we come to the Lord's table, do you understand that you are partaking? You are in fellowship. You are intimately involved in the person of Jesus Christ. I like this because it says that you are looking, you are communing, you are partaking, you are enmeshed with the sharing in His death. You are enmeshed with, you cannot be delineated from His life. The purpose of His death, the purpose of His life. And so it's more than just remembering Okay, it's more than just bringing it back to thought. As I shared with you an illustration last week on, on a picture, a picture of a dearly beloved person that has died. And every time you look at that picture, no matter how many years it is, every time you look at that picture, all the memories of that individual comes racing back in. Your soul, your mind, your consciousness becomes very sensitive to it. Okay, I shared with you the picture of my father. I have this one picture of him that is very dear to me. He's standing in, the, in front of the fireplace in, in the home that I grew up in, and he's in his dress blues as a Marine. 
And every time I look at that picture, usually what it comes to my mind first of all, all, all is that quail hunting trip that was a disaster. But then I think about the times that when we would have to be on the military, they call them camps in the Marine Corps, and we would go to those camps. Uh, I was taught how to swim by a Navy SEAL. Okay, so uh, I remember going to see a firefight uh, at night with tracers and we sit on these bleachers and you watch this uh, a rifle squad and you kept thinking, who in the world would even want to be on the wrong end of that thing? Okay, I mean, you had machine guns on each side, one in the center and a bunch of rifles and everybody was ticked off. Okay, and everybody had <laughs> federal money shooting their bullets. So <laughs> use a lot. And I just remember stuff like that. I remember flying in a Huey helicopter. As a young man, and I thought, oh, how cool is this? Okay, but I also remember in Camp Lejeune, I remember, is that everybody walked the same walk. Left, right, left, right, left, right. I mean, it was, me and my brother would walk opposite. And everybody could say, well, I bet them ain't Marines. But I mean, everywhere, you're in the PX, they're all walking left, right, left. Me and my brother used to fascinate the stew out of us. Look, they're all walking in step. And so the big question was, when they run, what do you suppose? Okay, but it's just stuff like that. And it all comes out of a picture of my father in dress blues. Okay, now multiply that by the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit and think about what the Lord's table is. You come to that table, we look at that cup, we look at that bread, and all of a sudden Christ is there. All of a sudden, Christ is alive. I mean, very, very much alive. All of a sudden, you're sensitive to the reality of cross. You're sensitive to that cross. You understand those nail-scarred hands and feet. You see your union with Him. You see His body. You see it given on your behalf. All of that, all that you understand about Jesus Christ comes rushing in at the Lord's table. Now then, i got to go a little rabbit trail. I need to deal with some footnotes here. Okay? Two topics that some of you may be aware of, and uh, some of you may not. Transubstantiation. Whew. I wrote it down. I've been practicing, but I know I'm going to be able to say it. It's like aluminum. Okay? The Catholic Church calls it the Mass. Okay? They believe that the partaking of the cup and the bread, that the priest has the ability... To literally, upon you taking of that bread or you taking of that cup, that it turns into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And it, that that priest has that ability. That's why you see such a longing for the priest. It's called trans... Sub, yeah, substantiation. Okay? Alright? And that literally, if that priest does that, it instantly, as soon as you put it in your mouth, it turns into his flesh or turns into his blood. Okay, now listen, that is not that hard to disprove. (laughs) Right? Is it? I mean, if I wanted to disprove it, all I need to do is go up, get the priest, and just spit it out on the ground and say, that ain't blood. (laughs) Okay, that isn't that hard to disprove. Okay, but that's what the Catholics teach to this day. All right? You all know Mr. Luther, right? Not King. Martin Luther, the original. All right? He is what is called the father of the Protestant Reformation, the breaking away from Roman Catholicism. Okay? He didn't like that. Right? And he kind of had an attitude about it. But he came up with what he calls consubstantiation. Instead of trans, you have con. Here's what he says, that the actual blood and the body are there in, around, under the elements of the body when you partake of the table. Okay, the cup and the bread all around it in a spiritual sense, um, you're partaking in the actual presence of Jesus Christ. Okay, now I read this thing about three different times and said, my brilliant mind said, that's confusing. Uh, the other thing that I have a problem with is, how do you defend that? <laughs> I mean, how, how do I prove that? All right, but here's the biggest problem with both, whether it's trans or con. 
Okay, and now you guys are going to see just how simply I think. You can't keep consuming Christ. All right? He, his body, did what? Ascended to the right hand of the Father. Okay, the, the disciples were standing there on the hill and they said, He, what? He went up. All right, and they stood there for a while waiting. Is he coming back? And the angel says, what are you looking up there for? Right? Where's his grave? Have we done a DNA research on his bones or anything to find out if he's truly pure? No, why? Body's gone. So you can't keep consuming something that is seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay? The Lord's table, by Luther's understanding, week after week, is the same as the Catholic understanding. He's just modified it a little bit. He's taken the role of the priest out of it. You don't need to keep killing Christ and consuming Him all the time. Please, he said, it is really close to being finished. No, it is finished. By how many offerings he sanctified forever those who would be sanctified? One offering. So I don't have to keep eating flesh and drinking blood. In the elements, in the spiritual sense, or literal. And yet, many will do that. Listen, when he gives you the Lord's table, he says, this is my blood. Okay, was he dead? What was he giving these guys? He cut his hand and we got a blood pack. No, what would he do? They had a glass of wine. He says, this is my blood. All right? So this isn't complicated, but we get all twisted up about it. Jesus wasn't dead when he established the Lord's table. You've got to understand that. And so to think that it's, well, it's got to be this or it's got... No, you're wrong, okay? Why? By one offering, he sanctified those who would be sanctified. One offering, he sanctified that, all right? Well, listen, it's sort of like this argument that I give to people that I've run into, dear Catholic people. He said he was the door. Does that mean he was like six foot by eight foot wood? No. He says, I am the bread of life. Does that mean he, what? A rainbow bread or something? Okay. So here's the other thing you, you need to keep in mind. In Leviticus chapter 17, 10 through 14, blood is a bad thing to a Jew. <laughs> okay. Don't touch it. Don't get near it. You drain the blood. Okay, you, you don't get near the blood, you cut, and it's, it was a bad thing. All right, so when you partake of the Lord's table, I want you to have a right view. It is not an actual presence of Christ in those elements. He's in the believer anyway. He's already there. Now, he may be uncomfortable, but he's still there. Okay, the symbols of the cup and of the bread, the loaf, are of his life, the shedding of the blood, and his death. But as we partake, our sensitivity is just smacked by the Holy Spirit. And our spiritual senses are awakened, and we become alive to the fact that Christ is real. He's real to us. Um, uh, Spurgeon called it a divine awakening. When you partake of the Lord's table. John MacArthur called it a spiritual alarm clock. Okay. And the alarm goes off and I'm awake to Jesus. Okay. And then some of us need to be woke up more. Okay. He is not in the elements. He's in the believer. But the believer is awakened to that reality by partaking of the cup. Listen, let me share with you communing with God. Okay, I commune with God when I read the scriptures. When Tom reads that Psalm 19, that's one of the most 
precious psalms to my soul that I ever have. And every time I hear it, uh, I just shut my eyes. I don't need to follow him. I just shut my eyes and listen. Why? And I tell you what, Psalm 119 is amazing because it is God. It is God and then it is God. Okay, and what is really cool about it is he's saying that my word is me. <laughs> and you can't separate the two. Okay, and if you go over to Psalm 19, you'll find out the second half of that. Uh, he says that my word is even more impressive than the creation of all of existence. And, and so when I hear those, uh, what am I doing? I'm communing with God. When I come for corporate worship right now, guess what? I'm communing with God. To have you people here with me, to be rejoicing in that, the strength that is there, the understanding that we're all at different places in our walk and different positions in our ministries and all the rest of it. Why? That's God working. And then when we come to prayer, whether it's corporate or individual prayer, guess what? You're communing with God. Your soul is stirred by the Spirit of the living God. And you're sensitive to who He is. You are communing with him, you are in koinonia with God. When you come to the Lord's table, you are coming with Christ. You are not coming to Christ. You are coming to that table with Him. You are actively involved in partaking of all that He is. Okay? Now then. One last thing I want you to see in verse 17. We who are many are one body. Okay? For we all do what? Partake of the one bread or loaf. Alright, you know what it's saying? When we come together as a body of believers and we partake of the Lord's table... You are communing, you are in koinonia with God. But you know what else you are? Each other. With me, with Al, Sandy, Karen, Ryan, Josh. You are all in an intimate partnership, in an intimate fellowship, in a sharing of one another. That's why when the Apostle Paul, he lists through all that stuff that he had suffered for Jesus... I've been shipwrecked and left in the deep for three days, you know, bitten by venomous snakes. Thirty-nine times I've been uh, with lashes. I've been stoned and left for dead. You just read that and you think, gee, many crickets. That's a successful ministry. And then his conclusion, his last statement is, and then my daily concern for the church. Why? You couldn't hurt in the body of Christ and Paul not hurt. You can't rejoice in the body of Christ and Paul not rejoice. You ever thought about that? Yet when a soul comes into the kingdom of God, how many of us rejoice? When you see a saint who has struggled, all of a sudden have victory over sin, how many of us rejoice? And I'm, I'm not talking about, well, hallelujah, brother. Okay, because I see that. You know, hallelujah. Okay, I'm talking about, whoa, can you believe it? It's only supernatural in God's hands work and I can't believe it. Hallelujah. This is greater than time. But how many of us rejoice? How many of us, when we see a saint fall into sin, our response is, told you. Huh? I knew they were going to do that. I just watched them. They've seen that all the time. How many of us are broken, grieving, weeping? How many of us can go before Father and beg that even take my life if it be necessary, that that person be drawn out of that trap? Why? Because I'm communing with Jesus Christ. And He came here to save that which was lost. He says that we are like sheep. You know what that means? We are one of the dumbest animals God ever created. We are. Let's jump over the fence. There's a cliff over there. I don't care. 
And then we see one do it, we think, I'm going after him. Well, I don't know. And that's the way we are. You want to see what your walk with Christ is? There's a book out by Philip Keller called Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. You read that, you'll be really depressed. You might even get saved. Because when he gets done with it, you sit there and go, gee, many crickets. What a bunch of goofy animals. We are. And we are. We are. And yet, we are koinonia. Why? We are a sharer with Jesus Christ, and there is but one Savior. And if we are a sharer, if I'm a sharer of Jesus Christ as Savior, guess what that makes you? You're a sharer with me. Why? Because I share with Christ. I am a partaker. I'm a partner. I am a participant. I am actively involved with Jesus Christ. What a young Christian, whether chronological or spiritually, struggles. Whose responsibility is it to help? Let me tell you something. That's part of you struggling right there. That's why Paul puts that verse in there. We all share of the loaf. When we partake of the Lord's table, you and I should be extremely sensitive to everybody that's around us. Why? Because we are all in Cornelia together. You know what's neat about that? You don't need a fellowship hall to do this. You don't have to have a barbecue to do this. Why? There's an overwhelming power of the Lord there. We are all joined in Christ. We are all joined to each other. And everyone who comes to the Lord's table is not only enters into communion with the Jesus Christ, but he enters into communion with everyone else who is at the Lord's table. You can't separate it. It's actually communing with Christ. It's actually communing with everybody else. That's that koinonia. Okay? Now, he's given us a point here, and he's saying that in a religious festival, in a religious feast, the worship at that feast, at that festival, and the worshipers are one with whoever or whatever is being worshipped. And everyone who is there is identified with that, is that, that which is being worshipped. Do you see that now? Uh, some of you got that calf at a new gate look, and some of you are thinking, uh, sheep jumping over a cliff did what? I lost you on the sheep. I should have stayed away from it. If our idols are materialism, humanism, and sex, and I partake of that feast, then I am identified with that idol, whether it's humanism, materialism, or sex. You are in fellowship with it. You are partnering with it. You are sharing it. You are in communion with it. And you know what? When people look at you, who do they identify you with? That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. That's why he says, flee it. Flee it. Have you ever thought about it? I'm not going to get involved. You know, I'm just going to go over here and do this, but I'm not really going to get involved. Who'd you just identify with? If a person walks by and they see you, who do they identify you with? Okay, look at verse 18. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat at the sacrifice the shares in that altar? Do you understand what he's getting at here? Remember verse 6? Things happened as examples for us. Verse 11. These things happened as examples to us. What things happened? The things that happened to Israel. They happened as a pattern, as a model for you and I to avoid. What is he talking about? Flee idolatries. Listen, when the nation of Israel partook of the altar, how many partook? All partook. Some of the food went to the priests. Some of the food went to God. Some of the food was handed out to the congregation of Israel. Israel was involved in sacrificing with each other. They were involved with God. Let me share with you. I was in Israel last March. When was it last March? I don't remember when it was. Yeah, last March. 
Okay, and I, I kept running into these little field tr- field trips, school field trips, little kids. Okay, and one of the things that amazed me about that is that everybody that that these little kids would be out uh, seeing different parts and staying in these kibbutz that we were staying in, and they'd be out. I seen them in about four different places, and they always had armed guards with them. Okay, and I mean, you know, and I, they carry them. They'd carry them out. I mean, whether it is M2 carbines slung over their shoulders, uh, M60s, uh, you, it's all out. And I'm, yeah, yes, I know what an M60 is. It's a belt-fed thing. Yeah, I, you see them hanging out there. Guy's got one over his shoulder carrying all these belts of ammo, and you're sitting there going, is this, is, do I need to be nervous? Okay. And so I, you know me, I went and asked the guy, what is up? With, you know, all of the guys. And he smiled at me and, and, he, and, and, and he smiled and he said, Did you know that when in Israel a school takes a field trip to go see an archaeological site or go to learn something, they're out? That the military is notified where they will be, how long they will be, how many will be there, and for the extent of time that they're going to be there and what they'll be studying? I said, Everywhere? Is it everywhere? Every group of children that are out of the public school arena who are out on a field trip is what I would call it. The military knows exactly where they're at. And did you know that within five minutes of us is an elite Israeli attack team? And I was, well, in the middle of the desert. What are they, like under a rock? Um, but then when you realize this country's only 45 miles wide, it's not really that hard to get someplace. Okay? And I said, well, I don't understand it. He says, the most precious commodity in Israel is our children. And every Israeli will lay his life down or her life down for the children. Why? You know what his comment was? We are one in Jehovah. Okay? So you see the mentality of Israel hasn't changed. We don't have that. We really struggle with that. Well, we're a melting pot. Yeah, or something. Okay? I think we're more like uh, gumbo. Have you ever asked the Cajun how do you make gumbo? Anything that won't eat you, you put in a pot and cook. Okay? So uh, you can talk to four different Cajuns, and I guarantee you'll get four different descriptions of gumbo. And I look at gumbo and say, there is no unity. (laughs) I've eaten gumbo. (laughs) There's no unity in that. Every time I eat it, it's a different taste. Okay? But see, we've missed that, and yet the body of Christ exists here today, right here. And there's a communion, there's a fellowship that goes on. That you and I are dealing with. Why? And that every single one is so important that Jesus Christ laid his life down and shed his blood for that person. How can you look at him less? And yet, what do we do? Well, you just don't understand them people. Yeah, I do. Why? Because I am one. I know how we are. That's what we got to grab out of this. Anytime I step into an idle feast or an idle celebration, what am I identifying with? And it's more than just identify. I am communing with that. And Paul says that is illogical. Idolatry literally defies com- com- comprehension. You can't comprehend that. I can't understand how you can be that intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ and that intimate and you're going to see with a demon. He said, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. That's what the Apostle Paul is sharing with you and I. There was a communion between the Jew, the priest, and God, and they partook of the altar. You still see it today. I mean, Jew, Israel today is, is basically secular, secular. Three cities, Haifa, um, Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem. Haifa, they say, pays. 
That's where all the industry in Israel is basically based, is Haifa. He says, Tel Aviv plays. Because that's where all the nightclubs, you'll see most of the bombings will take place in Tel Aviv. And he says, and of course, Jerusalem prays. Okay? And yet, the Jew says we are one. Whether they're the religious people who live in Jerusalem, or the industrious ones who work in Haifa, or the young people who play in Tel Aviv. And it's fascinating because that's what Paul's point here is. Worship is identification. Worship is communion with whoever or whatever is being worshipped. And that's what his point is. Why? He came out of chapter 9 verse 27 and he says, I buffet my body so as not to be disqualified. Right? Right? I literally box myself. I make my flesh my slave so as not to be useless to God. And then he gives the illustration of Israel. Israel was in the wilderness and they were to be this community who bore testimony, who was a witness of who God was. And yet one generation was left in the desert, correct? Correct. And now he's telling you and I that if you see idolatry, you should flee it. Why? Don't identify with that because you can make yourself useless to God. Disqualified. If you're going to be like Israel and fellowship with God, aren't you all at the same altar? When we partake of the table, are we not all at the same table? Think about the altar picture. What is the, the key to the altar isn't the altar. The key to the altar is what? What's on the altar? <coughs> right? When you come to the Lord's table, the key isn't that little cup and piece of bread. It is the sacrifice. And he's saying that you partaking of that sacrifice, you identify with that sacrifice. You want to be useful for God. How can you have communion with Christ at the Lord's table for a Christian? And I have this fellowship with Christ. And everyone at that table I have fellowship with. And how can I commune at a feast of an idol and fellowship with that idol and everyone who is at that idol? At that false worship. At that false deity. Okay? Think about what he just said. Christian, you judge. You're wise. What would you say? We can participate at an idol feast. An idol is nothing. We can participate in this place of godless, idolaters, Christless activities of our world. Can you do it without identifying with them? Can you? You judge. You're wise. Becoming one with all the rest of the people who are doing it, one with what is going on, one communing with that whole system. You judge. You're wise. Can you do it without identifying with them? See Paul's argument? It's a valid argument. Actually, it's more than valid. We will sit here this day and say, you know what? I don't want to do what the world does. You know, that social stuff. Stay back. Stay back. Stay away from it. Why? What will you identify? Listen, if you commune with that system, you have identified with that system. You know who the ruler of this world is? Do you? You know, I remember when Babylon, or Babylon, I remember when Iraq finally fell. Okay, and I heard a secular radio guy, um, one of the talk shows, said, Okay, America, you got Babylon, now what? Okay, I've read Revelations. That name comes up. 
Okay, there's two systems that exist. One is a religious system called Babylon the harlot, and one is an economic system called Babylon the harlot. When the religious system destroys, is destroyed, who weeps? Nobody. Nobody cares. When that economic system collapses, who weeps? The whole world. Which system that man has ever generated has that ability? Just a question. Dictatorship falls. Who weeps? The dictator and his relatives. Okay? Even in a monarchy, who weeps? But to have a global collapse of an economic system, what system can do that? It's only one. It's only one. And yet, how many in this room this day worship at that altar? How many? Okay? And when you do that, you can walk from the table of Christ to the table of lies. And it's that quick. You know what's scary? You know what hurts me the most about that? Most Christians don't even bat an eye. It doesn't bother them at all. It is very easy to walk from the table of truth to the table of lies. And their conscience is immune to it. Paul already told us that we are a witness community. Israel was a witness community. Paul says, you know what? I'm willing to literally beat myself up. Because I don't want to be useless. I don't want to be disqualified from the glory of the king. Remember what he's saying. You have freedom. You and I have freedom. We have freedom that the whole world is still looking for. But if your freedom takes you out to places where the world is communing with its own, you've got to understand this. Where the world is communing with its own, that is run by Lucifer. It is run by Satan. It is run by the father of lies. And you are a part of that whole fellowship when you commune with them, when you partake of that table. So as Paul would say, you judge, you're wise. But know this, first and foremost, idolatry is illogical. It's illogical. And that's what we're looking at. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for this time, for this word from, your, from my brother Paul. And Lord, I just praise you for the amazing things you've done through him and you're doing through him even this day. Lord, let us, let us walk away from here understanding that the communion of the saints is the unity of the saints. It's how we draw together. Father, let us understand we who are saved this day are one with each other. And it's more than just a friendship. And Father, let us hear this day who have heard your word, have looked at your word. Father, allow us to bring our bodies into our, our slavery. Make our bodies our slaves. Help us, Lord. Let us not be controlled by the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Father, help us to walk worthy. Help us to walk in the power and supremacy of you and you alone. Help us walk with kingdom focus, kingdom eyes. And Father, let us not be deceived. To your praise and to your glory, in Christ's precious name, amen.